Today we're going to talk about busyness. And I would love if it was possible to kind of have like a pulsometer on what reaction you guys have internally when I say the word busyness. For me, I kind of cringe and I, I kind of feel anxious about it. And do I need to use this? If it doesn't yeah. Oh, great. Okay. Um, anyway, if, if I hear the word busyness, I, I have anxiety. I kind of feel overwhelmed. Um, busyness, thank you, Dave Elsog, makes me feel stuck. Did you guys catch um, one of the lines in the last worship song we sung, though? It said, God, I need you. You're my one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. So in all of the things in our lives that hinder us from following Jesus, how do we overcome those? Well, the reality is we actually have a defense in God. And he is available to us at all times. That is his promise. It is throughout scripture. Yet, are we living our lives in a way that, where it, we actually believe that he is our one defense? Because our actions would actually indicate that we don't believe that he is our one defense. Because if we did, then we might actually follow him, right? Or we might actually believe in the promises, in the hope. We might actually heed his wisdom and instruction. Even if the reality is that he is our one defense, imagine, if you will, just a battle going on. God is right there in the middle. He is a rock. He is not moving. He's always there, always will be there. But instead of staying by him and close to him, we're just running around all over the world doing our own thing, trying to pursue other things that we actually think might make our lives better. We're not clinging to him. And I have to admit, even in the process of trying to prepare this message on busyness, there is such irony in I'm trying to carve out time in my busy schedule to find time to dive into God's word so I can learn about busyness. I can tell you the good news about that, though, is that it gave me real-time application with what I was learning through studying God's word in, in regards to how we spend our time and how Jesus lived his life. It gave me opportunity to apply what I felt like he's been teaching me over the last month in real time. And today I'm excited I get to share that with you. But one of the things we actually have to identify is what is busyness. Because if we have a full life, just with lots of things going on, that's not necessarily busyness because God, God desires a full life for us. That's actually his promise and his gift to us is a life full of the fruits of the spirit. Okay, that's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He desires for our lives to be full and productive and full of purpose. So busyness is not that. Busyness is actually being occupied with a great deal and spread really thin, feeling like you don't have time for the things that really mattered, and maybe you feel frazzled in that. And busyness can be so misguiding, because if we get in the habit of just doing, 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 we can believe that that doing actually indicates what our value is. Well, I'm, I'm busy, so I must, I must be needed by somebody, or I must be important in this world. Not necessarily. In our culture, we're drawn to it, aren't we? It's almost like this badge of pride, like, well, I don't have time for that. I've got a lot going on. That's not God's heart for our lives. And so we need to understand that the antithesis of busy is not empty. 
Let me say that again. The antithesis of being busy is not empty. And it may sound odd, but like we just went through that God desires a full life for us. So the antithesis of being busy is actually fullness. We're going for depth, not just breadth, okay? And in God, we can have both. And so a full life has the fruit and has the purpose. But if the demands of our life, if the things that we're filling our calendar with and the cultures and priorities that we're setting in our daily life are distracting us from God, that's a big problem. And that is a huge hindrance to living a full life. And our culture really does feel like we're facing this problem more than ever. But what we're going to dive into today is that this is not simply the chaos of our calendars. That's, that's n- that is a symptom of a much more deeply rooted problem, and it's actually the chaos of our hearts. And so busyness can be a mask, and we can hide behind it because whether we realize it or not, being busy and just keep doing, 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 doing can actually be way easier than examining and possibly admitting what we're really valuing the most in our life. So why do so many of us feel like our lives are busy, but they feel empty. So there's this parable in Mark 4, you guys are probably familiar with it, but it's great. It's, it's of a farmer sowing seeds on different types of soil. And when we look at this parable, it can really be um, a great way to envision how God's word in our life can either produce fruit or not, depending on how we react to it. So let's look at Mark 4, 17. It says, but since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choking it out, making it unfruitful. Do you guys struggle with any of these things? Worries of life, deceitfulness of wealth? Does any of this resonate with you? I mean, it's almost like the scriptures are applicable or something, that we can learn something by actually reading them. What a novel idea. Um, And so we run after so many other things other than God. And when we do, it chokes out his promises, his direction in our lives. And these three things, worries of life, deceitfulness of wealth, desire for other things, that list is really long, isn't it? And for each of us, it's gonna look different but it can manifest itself in really unhealthy ways that might look like we we care more about what other people think than what God thinks. We might think just like our lead pastor, Dave Nelson, talked about last week, that the pursuit of other things, consumerism, that's actually, we're buying into the lie that that's gonna bring fulfillment and happiness in our lives. Or what about just the desire for other things? For me, this is just when the flesh rises up and I just want what feels good, what's easy. This is my bend, and I bet this is a lot of your bends, too. And so it's something that affects us all. It doesn't matter if you're a believer or a not. This is something that none of us are immune to. And the good stuff that God wants to grow and develop in our lives, it gets choked out because of all these other things that we're pursuing. And so the most clarifying question that we can ask ourselves in regards to how we spend our time and trying to evaluate, is there fruit in our life? Am I on track? Is why do we do what we do? It's not a simple answer. And if you dig into that, you're probably gonna find a a lot of layers to that onion. 
But even if you're sitting here right now thinking, eh, busyness, not a problem for me. Well, congratulations. <laughs> you guys should probably be up here preaching the message instead. But the message today, regardless of busyness or not, we're going to take a look at God's word and how Jesus lived his life. And we're going to talk through five different principles of how we can assess the direction, the purpose, the impact, and the fruit in our life, all by how we're filling it, okay? So we're going to kind of look at these five principles as a strainer, if you will. So if we have all these opportunities in our lives, we're going to look at these five principles, and I hope that by the end of it, in every decision that you make, you can kind of press what we're learning today against these opportunities that you have to spend your time and see what should fall through and what's not deserving of your time and what should stick. The first principle is seek God first. So this might seem like Christianity 101, because it is, but this is so hard for us. It's the first step, but it's the absolute most important. It's critical that we keep our focus on God, especially with all of the things competing for our attention in this world. So this is, this is a core building block to everything. And the good news is, it's not our human nature to always seek God first, but the more that we do it, it's like muscle memory. The more natural it will become. The inverse is true too. The less we do it, the more natural it will become to just keep going in a different direction away from God. But there is hope that even a step of faith a day that this can become more and more of our daily reality. In Matthew 6, it says, So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. God knows what we need. He knows what we're worried about. And we can, we can try to run around in the battlefield avoiding his natural built-in defense that's sitting right there, or we can cling to him and he's going to take care of it. And when we look at Jesus' life in Scripture, time and time again, he was the perfect example of how to live this out. Every day, every decision, he sought God first. He had his eyes set on God. He knew him. He developed deep relationship with him in prayer and studying the scriptures, and he lived this out daily. And as a result, sin did not entangle Jesus. Now, we're human. We sin all the time. We are going to fail, but if we're seeking God first, he will give us the strength to not be entangled by sin as often. And see, being overloaded is just this way that the enemy distracts us from the things that are most precious in this world. So what's distracting you from God? What's entangling you? And your, your mind might go to classic sinful answers first, but we need to realize when we're talking about our time here and, and the distraction of busyness that there are a lot of things that we do or a lot of opportunities that we have that in and of themselves, they're not sinful. But they become sinful when they become first. I'm going to say that again. There's lots of things that aren't bad. But they will become sin if they become first in your life over God. So we have to sit with that, and we have to ask God the hard question, God, what, what am I putting in front of you? And in the same breath, a lot of things in this world, so much is good, 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 good. But we do have limited time, and the opportunities 
of like, seemingly unlimited ways that we can spend our time will not end. So what if we only chose what was best? What if we leaned into God, seeking him first, and we're like, God, you want what's best in my life. Reveal to me what is best. It's all good. A lot of it's good. But I just want to do what's best so that my life can be full of the biggest, ripest fruit there is. I love this passage in Romans. This is actually something you could read every day when you wake up. Um, and I love this version and the message for the purposes of our focus on busyness today. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. Put him first. And you will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. It's not easy, guys, but it's the most important thing is to seek him first. And our attempts to fight against these selfish desires in our lives, they're going to fail time and time again unless we give God space to lead Second principle that we can learn, know your purpose. We can also think about this as don't get distracted. So here's a newsflash for all of you. God's design for your life is not to be frazzled. It's not to be disheartened. It's not to be distracted. God's design, his reward for our lives is to have a life full of purpose, life that is rich in fruit, okay? This is his design for all human beings. He is such a good God to want that for us. And you know, if you are a Christ follower, if you are a believer, he has additional purpose for our lives as well. Let's look at Matthew 22. It says, teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law? And Jesus answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and most important commandment. The second most important commandment is this. Love others as much as you love yourself. So there's a lot of important stuff and a lot of great stuff that Jesus, during his time here on earth, is trying to teach us. Guys, this, this is the marrow of life. This is how we need to live it. But here he is saying, these are the most important things. Love God, love others. And if these are our main purposes as Christ followers, we can use these as a guide to figure out how we're using our time and, and where our heart is at in the things that we're participating in. It's so cool because in addition to this, God gifted each of us uniquely with an identity and special gifts and talents that only we have. It's like he's gifted us with a tool belt that's fully equipped with these things. Some of us don't even realize we have it, but we do. And how we use this can actually be in line with our purpose in life. We can love God and love others through the things that we're equipped to do. Are you good at business, art, cooking, guiding services in the great outdoors, teaching? Awesome. When we step into those roles, those activities, those jobs, 
if we put on the purposeful mindset and awareness of our purpose in life as believers, to love God, love others, realize what he's equipped us with in terms of special talents to facilitate those careers and those roles that we play, then our lives can be dramatically changed just in the depth and the deep fulfillment that we can experience when we know our roles and we're living those out with our focus on God. And the other amazing thing about this, when you know your identity, when you know your purpose, when you know why you're here on this earth, it can avoid, help you avoid the trap of getting sidetracked from the expectations other people have of you. That sounds cool, huh? Guys, Jesus did this all the time. There were so many people that had expectations of him that didn't align with who he knew he was, what he knew his purpose was on earth. The Jewish people thought that he should have been a military leader. The religious leaders thought that he should have pipered down and been quiet, but he didn't let other people divert him from his focus on what his purpose was in life. Guys, this is good news. That if we know this, we can stay on track. So when we know our purpose, when we know why we're here, when we know how we're created, it helps us say our yeses in life. Guys, everything we say yes to, we need to realize that we're actually saying no to something else. It's just true. When I said yes, sure, I'll give a message. I knew that if I said that yes, that the prep time it would take me to stand before you today, there were a lot of other things I was going to need to say no to in the weeks leading up to this. But I feel like that was the best yes, and that was the purpose that God had for me in this season, in this month. Guys, every time we say no, we're actually saying yes to something else. So in full discretion in the mornings, I've got young kids. If I don't get my quiet time with Jesus in the mornings, it's just, just not going to happen. So every morning that I choose not to sit and be with him, I have to realize painfully what I'm saying yes to. And it's usually really stupid stuff, like scrolling through pictures on social media or something. But every yes, you're saying no to something else. And every no, you're saying yes to something else. And so our yeses need to align with our purpose and we also need to give each other grace because the body of Christ, we're called to say yeses to different things because we're equipped differently. So when you see somebody else saying yes to something that, that you knew you couldn't, cheer them on in that. Thank you for saying yes to that. Thank you for living that out because that's just not what I'm called to right now. And if you see someone saying no, let's give them grace. Let's give them grace and, and encouragingly, encouragingly trust that they're pursuing God on that decision. I love this excerpt from a book by Erwin McManus called The Last Arrow. One of the nuanced skills of people who maximize their capacity and optimize their impact in the world is that they know which battles not to fight. They know which ground to give up. They know where to settle. And this is not because they're postured for compromise. It's because they have a clarity about what really matters to them. They know what their lives are about. They have profound intention, and that intention informs every arena of their lives. Those who care about everything actually care about nothing. Those who care about everything actually care about nothing. Who wants a deluded life? <laughs> Not me. 
I don't want a diluted life. I want to say yes to the things that really matter, only to the great things. And so these activities and appointments that we fill our calendars with, they're actually only good if they are helping us become the people that God created us to be. And if you're sitting here still wondering, who did God create me to be? That's okay. You're in good company. I can't encourage you enough to just sit before him and ask that question and be patient and persistent in your pursuit of unlocking what your unique identity is that he's given you. Because we all have one. But let's not let busyness distract us so much that we actually disregard discovering what that is. All right, guys, the number three principle, cultivate relationships. Our God is a God of relationship. Did you know that? He is. He desires intimate relationships with all of you. He desired an intimate relationship with Jesus. And even Jesus during his time on earth, he was so intentional about ministering to the masses and healing the sick and being with the poor. But even Jesus had his 12 disciples that, that he spent very intentional time with in relationship. And even beyond his 12 disciples, he had his core three best buds that he spent time with in deep relationship. And so if, one of, if our purpose is to love God and love others, which love, love your neighbor is the second commandment, how can we live that out if we don't even create enough margin in our lives to cultivate relationships with one another? In Hebrews 10, it says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. I gotta ask, does this hit close to home for anyone? Has anybody given up on inviting people into your home? On reaching out to somebody and initiating a time to meet for coffee or a meal? How about this? How many of us refuse to create enough margin on a Sunday morning to come to church and actually look at one another and talk to each other? I have. It's not God's design for us, and we're missing out. See, busyness feels like we're serving a wider audience, but it actually diminishes our ability to connect with our family and our friends and our neighbors and our church family. We're meant to be in community. We're meant to develop deep roots through relationship, not merely graze the surface of this life. But if we don't know each other, we can't love each other. And if I don't know you, I don't even know what your needs are, so I can't help you and so many of us in this room are left feeling not known, not seen, not heard, and not loved. It's such a big problem, guys. And our culture, the American culture, is really prominent in this. You know, last week we had one of our Swazi friends, Bongani, um, visit us here at K2. And this was his first time to the United States. And so in a conversation with him just last week, I was curious. I said, has anything stood out to you about being in the U.S.? Anything that surprises you? And without hesitation, guess what he said? I can't believe how nobody has any interest in engaging with one another and how distracted everybody is looking at their phones and having earphones in. 
Guys, that's me. Is that you? It goes completely against God's design. And at the core of our being, we have this primal need to be known and loved and heard by our creator and by other people. Why? Because these relationships actually give us some of the best indications as whether or not we need a shift in our lives, whether we're on track. Let's admit it, accurate self-assessments are nearly impossible to do, right? But when we're in healthy relationships that take time to develop, we have this awesome infrastructure to stay on track because when we're in regular communication with God and other people close to us that know us, that see us, they can speak into our lives in a way that helps remind us of who we are, why we're here, and what race we are supposed to be running. All right, fourth principle. Embrace the gift of rest. Guys, I love this one. I love this one, and God taught me a lot through this. But the first time in Scripture that God is talking about physical rest for his people is in Exodus. And he's telling the Israelites, okay, you guys have worked six days. Now we're going to implement this new thing called the Sabbath. And on the seventh day, all of you need to rest. And the word the Sabbath, it does mean cease and to rest. But it's an active rest, if you will. Um, it's, it's a purposeful rest, meaning to intentionally take time to celebrate what God has done over the last six days. Okay, this is not an idle rest. Let me contrast it for you like this. Um, God's version of the Sabbath rest is like filling your body with nutritional fuel that's actually going to give you energy and spur you on for the week, the good stuff. It's just filling yourself with the good stuff. And an idle rest would be like binging on junk food that's gonna completely hinder your performance, okay? So this is God's gift to us. And even Moses, when he's describing to the Israelites, like, hey, there's this new thing we're going to do. It's called the Sabbath. Heads up, it doesn't just magically appear. We have to plan for it. So even in the Israelites, when God was first revealing the Sabbath and this gift of rest, because he knows that we need it, Moses was telling the Israelites, hey, so on the sixth day when you're gathering your manna, your food for the day, on the sixth day you actually need to gather double so that you have what you need for the seventh day so you can actually rest. What a novel idea, guys. We are so good at planning and filling our calendar and our schedule with all sorts of things. But we could use that same tool to schedule rest, a gift from God into our lives. He wants that for us. And it's really neat because when Jesus hits the scene in the New Testament, he refers back to the Sabbath frequently, but he also starts to reveal to us a new type of rest, a fuller picture of rest, because in Jesus, he's already done the work. And what I mean by that is that all of the burdens, all of the entanglements, all of the sin that we carry, he's already paid the price. And so as believers in Christ, through Jesus and through Jesus alone, we can actually rest in him, thanking him that he can forgive us of our sins and we can start fresh. So the rest that we find in Jesus can be found through no other thing. In Matthew 11, it says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I love this one in Hebrews. The only true deep rest can come from Christ. It will elude every man's quest and cannot be attained 
except through Jesus Christ. (laughs) How many of us are grasping at things, desperately wanting rest for our bodies, for our minds, for our hearts? It's available to us. And Jesus knew the value of rest. He, He checked out sometimes. I mean, crowds were pressing in upon him, like, please keep speaking, keep speaking. And after however many hours, he's like, you know, no, we're, I'm actually going to go, and I'm going to get on a boat and go to the other side and rest with my core people. God has put these safeguards in place in our life. The Sabbath is one of them. His son, Jesus, the rest for our souls is another. And guys, even if we look at the design of our bodies, our bodies are designed to sleep. He could have made us energizer bunnies. We could have kept going all the time and never needed to rest, but he didn't design us that way. Do you think that was a mistake? He designed us to rest in every way. And these safeguards that God gave us to rest help us remind, like, just reminds us that we need a savior every day. That if we stop, the world's not gonna fall apart, actually that we need him to get us through our days and that our own abilities will fail time and time again. We want rest, but we think we don't need it. I love it in Colossians, it says, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Guys, if you stop and rest, he's still gonna hold it together. Have you guys ever seen a toddler around nap time? They are unraveling at a very concerning rate. And their ability to communicate or to have self-control is diminishing every second. And the parent is over here saying, sweetie, sweetie, your toys are still going to be there at the end. I know that you think you're going to miss out on a lot, but you're really not right now. You should really just rest. But I don't want to. We're toddlers. We're toddlers. We have a good parent who designed us, who knows better than us, saying, I have created this for you. And we are saying, no, I don't want it. We need to build rhythms into our lives that make it possible for us to rest and get to know God deeper and one another deeper. All right, fifth one. Trust God with the outcome. Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do we believe that? Are we still trying to just keep spinning plates everywhere and then add plates and keep spinning them and not take rest and not heed his wisdom because we think if we do, it's going to fall apart? Because if that's what we're doing, then the answer is no, we don't trust him. And see, the reality is we all have 24 hours in a day and we all have seven days in a week. And if we find ourselves in this mentality of we don't have enough time to do that, to do that important thing, to, to spend time with that spouse or that child, or what are we saying about God if we actually believe that we don't have enough time to do the great things? that he's stingy, that his design's not perfect. Our God is abundant, and he has provided us everything we need to take part in the great things of life. We just have to figure out if our definition of great aligns with his. 
And we just need to realize that God is ultimately in control. We can take a huge sigh of relief in that because it takes a ton of pressure off. But how do we know? How do we know that we can actually trust that he is in control? We have to take a step of faith. We have to seek him first and know what his promises are, and then we have to take him up on it. If we go back to Mark 4, it says, Others like seeds sown on good soil, they hear the word, they accept it and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. We need to hear what God is telling us through his word, through our time with him, through his example of how to live this life through Jesus And we need to have the humility to accept these amazing gifts that he is extending to us every day. So how do we overcome busyness? How do we overcome a frazzled life with no depth and no fruit? Seek God first. Know your purpose and don't get distracted. Run the race. Cultivate relationships. Embrace the gift of rest and trust God with the outcome. So now what? The purpose of this, you guys need to know, is to not compare your life to other people because God didn't design us as carbon copies. How cool that he didn't. And so we all have different strengths and passions and and capacities and in different seasons. So this this is strictly about you leaning into Jesus and asking him where and how to use your gift of time. Everyone's calendars can look different. Everyone's Sabbaths can look different. But by doing this, we can actually start to create a new culture in our own lives, and we can even start to create a new culture at K2. We can overcome busyness. But it begins with believing and trusting that God is actually that good. And maybe you do believe that now. Maybe you don't. But if you don't believe that God is that good, what if he is? And what if his promises are true? And what if his hope is real? And what if the fruits of his spirit can be a part of your life? What if you're just a toddler stiff-arming a parent who loves you dearly and knows you better than you know yourself? So we need conviction and character to act and to make hard choices. Our lives are not meant to look like the rest of the world. So we can be radical in this approach and we can be radical with what we choose to do and not to do as long as we're following Jesus in it. We just have to remember that the opposite of busyness is not empty, but it is a life full of the right things. I'm going to leave you with this. It's another excerpt from this book by Erwin McManus called The Last Arrow. Never settle about what God intends to do with your life. You have to know what matters. You have to know who you are. And you have to know what your life is to be given to. For in the end, the one thing where you must never settle for less is the calling that God has on your life, the purpose for which he has created you, the impact 
he has designed for you to make in this world. We're going to end our time here together, at least with the message of taking a deep breath and sitting before Jesus. And maybe in this time that you're sitting with him, maybe you just need to ask him to bring to light some areas in your life that are entangling you and confess those to him. He is quick to forgive. Maybe you just need to sit before him and ask God, what is my purpose? What's my unique identity that you gave me? Guys, maybe, maybe you just need to sit and talk with him and deepen your relationship with him. You can just sit here and talk to him. You can also sit here and just listen to him. And some of us just need to take a few minutes to rest and to breathe deep the hope and the opportunity that we have in him and him alone. To know that if we stop, that things aren't going to fall apart and that he holds it together for us. So let me pray. I invite you guys to lean into Jesus. Father God, we love you. You are a good, good father. We forget that so often for that. Please forgive us. Thank you for giving us purpose. Thank you for designing us in such a way to where you actually, you not only allow us to rest in you, but you ask us to rest in you. Thank you, God. In this time, I would just ask that you intimately meet with each person in this room in a way that they need to hear from you. God, you love us dearly, more than we can comprehend, and your grace abounds. Meet us here, God. In your precious and holy name, amen.